Looking back on the week that was with a razor wit, irreverent humour and profound political and cultural insights, this is The James McPherson Show. I will continue to not watch the Academy Awards after it was announced this week that inclusion rather than artistic merit would determine whether a movie could be considered for best picture. A movie that does not use the requisite number of women, LGBT or non-white people, no matter how brilliant, will be ruled ineligible for best picture under new rules to apply from 2024. So the Oscar for best picture will not go to the best film, but to the best woke. Expect a headline in 2024 along the lines of Tarantino film hailed as instant classic by critics but is ruled ineligible for Oscars due to inexplicable lack of transgender double amputee Pacific Islanders in cast. Under new rules for best picture eligibility, films must meet at least two of four benchmarks. They include featuring actors from minority groups in significant roles or accounting for at least 30% of the cast. Similar criteria exist for those working behind the scenes. It's not yet clear whether the rules will be applied to Hollywood sexual predators, requiring them to make sexual advances to people of all races and with all kinds of disabilities. Nor is it clear whether the criteria will be expanded to include other categories, such as Best Actor, which could be replaced with Best Non-Binary in a Diversity Hire Film. The new rules signal a move away from entertaining audiences toward collecting people based on their skin colour and or genitalia. We can only imagine the 2024 awards ceremony. The Academy Award for Best Picture, a film starring three lesbians, a bisexual and a couple of gays, and featuring a production team comprising three Asians, a black South African in a wheelchair, and a half Italian, half Indonesian who identifies as a unicorn, goes to... The name of the film will not be heard for the sound of Hollywood millionaires cheering at the outstanding level of inclusion. But that won't matter because few people ever remember which film won Best Picture as it is, and even fewer people actually bother to see it. Critics will enthuse, it cost $100 million to make, tanked at the box office and scored just 18% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it had the highest number of victim group members of any film this year, eight Oscars. The Academy announced last Tuesday that prior to the 2024 Oscars, movie makers will have to submit a confidential inclusion standards form detailing which minority groups were employed in the making of their film. So a remake of the 1994 best picture, Schindler's List, would need to be accompanied by a Schindler's intersectional list to even be considered in 2024. This is not the first time that people have dictated what must be included in art. A particularly uptight German tried it in the 1940s, as did a murderous Russian. Movies were not improved. Who knows, maybe Hollywood could use a yellow star to mark a certain ethnicity, or a pink triangle to indicate sexual orientation. Hollywood studios could be patrolled by inclusion and equity inspectors checking on who is on set to make sure there is representation compliance. Show us your papers, Schnell. 
You can bet that filmmakers who fail to meet the inclusion standards will be made to attend the Academy Awards ceremony and confess their bigotry. Inclusion is nice, but mandatory genetic check-ins before rewarding art is creepy as hell, and rewarding chromosomes over merit is just plain wrong. Excluding someone on the basis of skin colour is, of course, racist. But considering someone on the basis of skin colour is also racist. So, best supporting racist award goes to the Academy. Fighting racism and gender inequality by choosing employees based on their skin colour and gender makes as much sense as cancelling cinematic excellence in favour of feelings. People don't want to be preached at by adult pretenders. They want to be entertained. The Oscars was already a night when a mostly useless group of people gather together in a room to tell each other how absolutely fabulous they are and how absolutely awful the people they think are watching them are. The live television audience for the Academy Awards was at an all-time low last year, rebranding the event to the Affirmative Action Awards, where a diversity check is prioritised over character development and story, will surely continue that downward trend. Imagine losing a tonne of money because of COVID-19 and then saying, how can we devour ourselves even more? I know, let's enforce strict identity-based quotas for filmmaking because telling great stories and delivering astounding performances just isn't enough. It's almost as if they focus-grouped how to make the public hate the Oscars even more. The Academy are happy to be rid of us, and we are increasingly happy to be rid of them. We now await news that, as of 2024, songs will only be Grammy-eligible if at least 73.5% of the instruments used to record them were made by, I don't know, left-handed, gender-fluid Pacific Islanders with club feet and chronic fatigue syndrome. Art is no longer about art, it's about feelings. Welcome to the James McPherson Show on Tuesday, September 15, 2020. It's great to have your company. If you haven't already subscribed to the Good Source podcast, let me encourage you to do so. That way, you'll never miss my show. It comes out every Tuesday. And on top of that, you can access a whole lot of other great shows from conservative writers and thinkers that I know you'll really enjoy. But I hope you enjoy today's show. Thanks for tuning in. The Church in Iceland has announced a brand new advertising campaign featuring Jesus as transgendered. The advertisements depict Jesus with beard and breasts dancing in front of a rainbow. Church leaders in Iceland said the advertisements were important because everybody needs to be able to see themselves in Jesus. So a transgendered person can't see themselves in Jesus unless Jesus is transgendered. Right. So so by that logic, we should depict Jesus as a drug user so that addicts can see themselves in Jesus. We should depict Jesus as anorexic so that people with eating disorders can see themselves in Jesus. We see ourselves in Jesus because he became human. The Icelandic church said these steps were important because uh, we need the world to be able to identify with the church. Well, they're missing the key point that the more you make the church like the world, the less need there is for the world to engage with the church at all. 
The point of the Christian faith is not that we see ourselves in Jesus, but that we see Jesus increasingly manifest in ourselves. The point is not to conform Jesus to the image of us, but to ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to conform ourselves to the image of Christ. Of course, what the Icelandic church has done is an extreme example of what's happening all around the world. That is that Jesus is being presented as a personal cheerleader there to affirm whatever lifestyle choices we make rather than as saviour and Lord there to change us into his image and to help us become who we were supposed to be. The Icelandic church in trying to make Jesus more relevant completely newts Jesus and strips him of all power to help anybody. Victoria Police, not content with their heavy-handed enforcement of COVID-19 restrictions, are now trolling the public on Twitter. How else to interpret this official Victoria Police tweet from last week? Let me quote it to you. Victoria Police is pleased to be supporting Are You OK Day, a nationwide campaign centred on inspiring and empowering everyone to meaningfully connect with the people around them and start conversations with people who may be struggling. Are you serious? Victorians are being imprisoned in their own homes. They are subject to a strict curfew. A pregnant woman is handcuffed and arrested for posting wrongthink on Facebook. Grannies are threatened for sitting on public benches, and police have the nerve to ask, are you okay? How supremely confident must police be feeling to post, are you okay, on the same day that officers were filmed harassing a 38 weeks pregnant woman for the crime of resting in a park? Talk about not reading the room. Of course Victorians are not okay, but what are Victorians going to do? Sit on a park bench, they'll be harassed. Visit a friend, they'll be arrested. Go for a drive, they'll be stopped. Communicate with friends on Facebook, they'll be raided. And what if someone is not okay? Will 10 armed officers suddenly appear out of nowhere like they do if you're not wearing a mask? Are you even allowed to not be okay in Victoria these days? No one would now be surprised if Are You OK Day was enforced by Victorian police as You Are OK or Else We're Coming For You Day. The Victoria Police tweet recommends that we start conversations with people who may be struggling. Ah, is that what Assistant Commissioner Luke Cornelius was doing two weeks ago when he said people who didn't agree with the government's agenda were, quote, batshit crazy? Oh, but aside from being batshit crazy, are you OK? Victoria Police tweet that Victorians need to meaningfully connect with the people around them, all the while issuing fines to Victorians who connect with people around them. I saw two elderly ladies trying to have a meaningful conversation in a park. They were promptly surrounded by five officers threatening them with arrest. One of the ladies had her phone snatched from behind. It's frightening that Victorian police are okay with that. But don't mind how they police, look at how they tweet. Living in an authoritarian police state is not great for one's mental health to begin with. But when police start gaslighting the public with tweets like this, you start to wonder if there's a deliberate effort to increase anxiety. Victorians will be okay when the police stop acting as a politically driven ideological enforcement unit 
and go back to working for the interests of the people. Few people could know what it's like to be bullied by the Prime Minister of Australia. But I imagine it's like being unable to see your dad before he dies or attend his funeral after his passing, only worse. Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaget must have imagined there would hardly be a dry eye in the place when she told Parliament she had been bullied and intimidated by the Prime Minister. This intimidation and this bullying is the worst I've ever seen in my lifetime, the Premier complained. The Prime Minister had apparently suggested it would be a good idea for a young woman who'd travelled to Queensland to see her ailing dad only for him to die in the meantime, to be allowed out of quarantine for a couple of hours to attend his funeral. The Premier advised the PM that, as the elected leader of her state, she was able to do some things, like make abortion easier, but unable to do other things, like let a woman farewell her father. The Prime Minister contacted me this morning, and I made it very clear to him the fact that it was not my decision, Ms Pelagier said. I made it clear that I would pass his comments on to the Chief Health Officer and it is her decision to make. The Chief Health Officer, though, had been so busy allowing footballers and celebrities into the state that she'd let Sarah Kasip's request to see her dad languish in an inbox for 20 days, during which time he had died. So all that was left was for Sarah to attend the funeral. I said to the Prime Minister I would refer it to the Chief Health Officer and I did that. Ms. Palaget said. It's her decision. You've got to take the clinical advice here. Well, the answer was a clinical no. No, the government did not apologise for bureaucratic bungling that caused Sarah to miss seeing her dad before he died. No, the government did not care that there was zero chance Sarah, being from Canberra, where there'd been no COVID-19 cases for two months, represented a health risk, and no, the government would not allow Sarah to attend her dad's funeral. Chief Health Officer Jeanette Young did, however, make an allowance. The non-elected, unrepresentative bureaucrat kindly said Sarah would be permitted to farewell her dad in the morgue, alone, wearing protective gear. Well, advice doesn't get much more clinical than that. It's enough to make you insist on gender quotas in order to get even more women into positions of power so as to spread this kinder, gentler, more empathetic style of leadership. We're dealing with a health pandemic, the Premier said matter-of-factly. Actually, the Premier was dealing with Sarah, or rather insisting someone else, you know, like the Chief Health Officer, deal with Sarah. Premier Palaget became enraged when the Queensland opposition drew attention to Sarah's plight in Parliament. It is absolutely not acceptable for the leader of the opposition to do what she's doing today. A coordinated campaign with the Prime Minister's office is disgusting and it is demeaning, the Premier complained. Disgusting and demeaning in the way a woman being prevented from seeing her dying dad is disgusting and demeaning, I guess, only worse, evidently. The Premier complained that the opposition was seeking to use this personal tragedy by which she meant Sarah Cassip's inability to attend a funeral due to the government's overly stringent border controls in place between now and the upcoming election. But the Premier said it was wrong for the opposition to use this personal tragedy for political purposes. So the Premier created a personal tragedy for political purposes and now accuses anyone who dares to point that out of using a personal tragedy for political purposes. 
It's the kind of logic that imagines the Premier is the real victim rather than Sarah Cassip. The tinsmith forgot to give me a heart. No heart? No heart. All heart. With tears in her eyes and her voice cracking, Ms Pelagey said on Friday last week, I'm human just like everyone else. These issues hurt me deeply. Well, unlike everyone else, she's also the Premier. The Premier who imagines a contrary view from the PM is bullying. The Premier who imagines she can hide behind bureaucrats. The Premier who imagines another family's tragedy is really all about her. One suspects these issues will hurt the Premier even more deeply on Saturday, October 31, when Queenslanders vote. Question. What do you think has most alarmed the United Nations General Secretary about the COVID-19 pandemic? Has he been stunned by the ability of a virus to overwhelm societies despite our advances in modern medicine? Has he been shocked at the treachery of the Chinese Communist Party, which allowed the virus to spread around the world? Has he been perhaps appalled at the swift surrender of civil rights as governments have used the virus as an excuse to bully citizens? Eh, not so much. What keeps the UN chief awake at night is the real problem behind the coronavirus, men. The former vice president of Socialists International told a town hall meeting of young women on August 31 that the COVID-19 pandemic is demonstrating what we all know. Millennia of patriarchy have resulted in a male-dominated world with a male-dominated culture which damages everyone, women, men, boys and girls. And here we were thinking that the main thing this pandemic demonstrated was that groups like the United Nations and the World Health Organization are run by a bunch of circus clowns. Many people expected the comment, which was broadcast via the UN's official Twitter feed, to be quickly deleted. Not just because it was stupid, but because it only detailed two genders. The United Nations had, after all, tweeted on March 7 that trans women are women. Every woman is a woman. Women are limitless, formless. Women are the world. But uh, putting aside the United Nations perpetuation of cis-normative patriarchal stereotypes, a big issue for the three people who care about such things, the comments show that if you thought a global pandemic couldn't be weaponized for the purposes of identity politics, you'd better think again. When the globe's chief globalist insists that COVID-19 demonstrates patriarchy, his pandemic face mask has well and truly slipped. There is nothing the United Nations won't manipulate in order to reshape the world in their leftist image. The UN is simply using the virus to push another agenda. The General Secretary told the town hall meeting, beyond the virus itself, the response has had a disproportionate and devastating social and economic impact on women and girls. That's United Nations speak for men are the most dead and women are the most affected. He waves away the fact that COVID-19 kills significantly more men than women. The World Health Organization reported in August that 63% of deaths related to COVID-19 in Europe have been among men. But he waves that away with a dismissive, you know, beyond the virus itself, perhaps the General Secretary believes more men need to die in order for women to feel better a sentiment echoed by Australia's Clementine Ford, who tweeted on May, in May that, quote, COVID-19 is not killing men fast enough. 
end quote. Or maybe the disproportionate number of male deaths is just typical of men, keeping most of the disease for themselves. The General Secretary complained between 70 and 90% of healthcare workers are women, but their salaries and conditions often fail to reflect the life-saving roles they occupy. Now on this, he has a point. It's wrong that women working as nurses saving lives earn significantly less than, say, the World Health Organization director who's advice in January that there was no clear evidence coronavirus could spread between people, no doubt cost lives. Defund the United Nations to pay female health workers more. That would find popular support. The General Secretary went on to say, the pandemic has exposed the crisis in unpaid care work, which has increased exponentially as a result of school closures and the needs of older people and falls disproportionately on women. To be fair, this is true. Men overwhelmingly die of COVID-19 more than their female counterparts, leaving women responsible for raising children and working. It's selfish of men to do that. They do it in war as well. This systematic misogyny has been going on for years. Women oppressed by the worldwide pandemic must be heartened to know that the General Secretary of the United Nations is so committed to them. Aside from turning a Chinese germ into a battle of the sexes, nothing says, I've got you ladies, like running an organisation that puts Saudi Arabia and Somalia on its commission on the status of women. It's kind of cute when globalists pretend to care about human rights. Well, thank you for being part of the James McPherson Show. I hope you enjoyed it, and I look forward to your company next Tuesday. The Good Source is amplifying leading conservative voices from Australia and New Zealand. Together, we're providing viewers and listeners, as well as readers, diverse formats and a better source of news and opinions without the constant victim-oppressor, social justice warrior rhetoric or PC fear of reality. You can help us grow this important initiative by becoming a supporter at goodsource.news today. The James McPherson Show is a production of The Good Source, written and presented by James McPherson. To watch, listen to, or read more media without the SJW narratives or PC fact filter, visit goodsource.news. That's good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show. No heart. All hollow. <laughs> When a man's an empty kettle, he should be on his metal, and yet I'm torn apart. Just because I'm presuming that I could be kind of human if I only had a heart. I'd be friends with the sparrows and the boy who shoots the arrows if I only had a heart.